The trend of swimming in cold water for health benefits is doggy paddling its way into the public zeitgeist. But what if you absolutely had to live in freezing waters in order to survive? The crocodile icefish lives up to its name by living down in the depths of the Antarctic Southern Ocean. But how does a cold-blooded fish not turn into a popsicle at such extreme temperatures? Well, it's all in their blood, and sometimes you just need a lot of it to survive here in life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie Michelle on YouTube or Spotify. And thank you to Johanna for the creation of this week's artwork. To check that out, you can visit us at our home on the web at ltaxonomy.com. And a very special thank you to our patrons, to Jesse Raspolich, Carol Raspolich, and Richard Kaspar. Thank you so much for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for helping us keep the lights on. And today we're talking about an ice-cold krill killer, but more on that later. Krillakilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one is, uh, I occasionally get articles on my Google news feed of interesting animals, uh, or like new animals, and this is not new, but it is interesting, so that, that's where I got this idea from. This idea. Like, I, I invented the fish. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the idea to do the episode on it. What are, what are we? Th- and also, I love the name of this fish. It's 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 the how a, a Pokemon would be described. There's like, oh, it's Pikachu, the mouse Pokemon, or like the the uh, the electric whale Pokemon, or something like that. This is right up that alley. This is the crocodile ice fish. Yep. <laughs> it's the crocodile ice fish Pokemon. No, yeah, it's cro- crocodile ice fish. That's f- what is it? Three Batman villains put together. There isn't a fish. There's the penguin, I guess. There's at least two Batman villains in there. What is a penguin if not an ice fish? If, if not a fish, <laughs> right? <laughs> it likes fish in the ice. That's true. It's also called the pike ice fish uh, or the northern ice fish, but man, why would you use either of those two when you can say crocodile well, ice fish instead? The pike ice fish and the northern ice fish is the particular species of ice fish. The crocodile ice fish is the whole family that this is in. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna um, we're gonna call it here crocodilla ice, ice ice baby, um, and Val Krilmer. Because he's the Iceman. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm seeing in this Wikipedia article just now that there in nineteen in 1862 there was an American ichthyologist named Theodore Nicholas Gill. Oh my gosh. That's like, didn't somebody named Webb direct one of the uh, Spider-Man movies? And the, and the Amazing Spider-Man. Did they? Oh, there's like um, reproduce. Oh man, I was just, I was just, I I gotta, I'll, I'll never remember it now that I'm on the spot. 
But it was another thing I was just telling Bibby about. I was like, do you think if you have that name, like you can do anything else? Because <laughs> it was one. Of, it was just like a perfect matchup. Mark Webb. Mark directed Webb. the Amazing Spider-Man. Yep. That's a that's appropriate. But if your last name is Gill, it's like can can you study any other animal but fish? You can um, because crustaceans. Uh, yeah, crustaceans have it. Axolotls have gills. Yeah, uh, you can cephalopods. you can study amphibians, but only for the first half of their lives. Yeah, and then you and then you're out. You're, only for the first half of your career. And then and then as so, as soon as that and as soon as that tadpole uh, like jumps onto land, you're like a sheriff of the county line. You throw your hat down and stamp on it. <laughs> Darn it! This is outside of my realm of uh, of expertise. I only deal with gills. <laughs> Dang, come. Okie dokie. Would you like to hear what science has to say about this? Uh, yeah. It's in the kingdom you know, love, and are in the kingdom animalia. It's in the phylum Chordata, the classes of Actinoptergi. The order is Passeriformes, which means it's from the Passerific Ocean. Just kidding. It doesn't mean that. It's Persiformes. It's ray-finned fish. Persiformes. That's true. It's brought us fire. (laughs) Wait. That's Prometheus. Yeah. I was thinking of Perseus for some reason. (laughs) What did Perseus do? He was like a... He was like a ship, right? No, that's Theseus. Perseus isn't... Yeah. Perseus is like uh, like a hero, not a maybe he's a demigod. It doesn't matter uh, because the or the family is oh boy oh no I think what are there three ends in a row? Chenichthyidae. <laughs> Chenichthyidae. It's quite a quite a word. C H T H in a row. Yeah, that, that's fun. That one threw me for a loop when I was trying to type it out because I type out all of these in the taxonomy section of the notes. So, Chanic Chanic Theodae, Channing Tatum, <laughs> and then the um, genus is is it Campsocephalus or is it Champsocephalus? Oh, that's a good question. I think if this is Canic Theodae, this is. You said Chanic Theodae, but I would. I, I'm, I imagine it's probably a hard ch. Hmm. Like character. Champsocephalus, or, or Campsocephalus. Uh, the species is Esox. Campsocephalus Esox. Esox fables. I was thinking more of like uh, socks for my Sims character. <laughs> you you got to buy a couple of e-socks. You got to get some e-socks. Sims. I sent you an email with some e-socks. Um, yeah, Campocephalus. But then like Hippocampus or something like that. That's just C-A-M-P. There's some H there. Duh. Latin. This brings me to my growing favorite part of the show. Nitty gritty nomenclature. The part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question. What is the 
English translation for the binomial nomenclature of this animal. Campo Campsocephalus esox. What does it mean? Does it mean A, crocodile-headed salmon? B, cold head fins? C, strong-headed carp? Or D, ray-finned jawhead? Ray-finned jawhead, final answer. That is incorrect. It is not ah. a marine. It's not a jarhead. Yeah. A British jarhead, a jawhead. Um, it's a crocodile-headed salmon. That's what <laughs> this is. What uh. this means. Um, Champso is crocodile, and then obviously Ceph. I couldn't. I knew you were going to get cephalus, so everything had to have head in there. But uh, Esox is salmon. It's Interesting. Salmon. Even though this is uh, decidedly not a salmon, <laughs> not a salmon. That's true. It sure ain't. Would you like me to describe it to you? Sure. The family members that are all called crocodile ice fish come in several shapes and sizes, but generally have a long torpedo-shaped body, fins that run the length of their back, and then the back half of their underbelly, long snouts, a strong head, you might say, um, with large crocodile-style mouths, they have big eyes, no no beady little trailer park eyes, big saucers. Trailer then, park eyes, <laughs> which is funny because when I think of the trailer park boys, that show, one of oh, the characters has yes. giant eyes. <laughs> uh, they can also be striped for pattern disruption. Same. But that brings me to what its re relative size is in relatable terms. So, welcome to the Beloved Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show, the part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the show that's introduced by you when you send an audio of yourself saying, singing, or making fish sounds. Uh, the words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. We don't have a new measure up intro this week but that means we get to hear from a fish and call us just to guess who it is you can do another shark tail thing you're gonna give me a will smith no. you have a lot to choose from here so it's a little yes when you said ant that one time i was like well there's really only so much material to pull from but there's a lot of talking fish without further ado the listener's favorite part of the show. Slamming right into my private quarters. Come about and stand by for action, you four-eyed flounder. Say, you're talking to me. You bet your binnacle I'm talking to you, matey. <laughs> Is that Jerry Seinfeld's voice I hear? The, no, that's Don Knotts. No, the other guy. Say. That's Don Knotts. Oh, that's yeah. That's the, the other guy. So the other that's the fish. The other one is a crab. The one who's saying, who's a little bit more aggressive. I don't think I've seen this movie. I don't think so either. I'll be surprised if you get it. Yeah, I don't. I don't even have a, a reference for it. So what is it? The Incredible Mister Limpet. 
Nope, nope, never heard of it. It's a Warner Brothers like era. It's a Warner Brothers movie in the era of like Mary Poppins, where it was like a mix of live action and cartoons. So like this man, real Don Knotts, live action Don Knotts, loves fish and wishes to become one. And then magic ensues and he becomes a, an animated fish. So it's like uh, Space Jam, Roger Rabbit kind of stuff. But I think when he's in the fish world, it's all animated. But then, yeah, yeah, there's some like... So it's kind of more of like a Song of the South where it like... It kind of blends it, but eventually, like you, you spend a lot of time in totally animated world. Yes, it's exactly like Song of the South. Yeah, in ev- every way, beat, beat for beat, <laughs> exactly like Song of the South, the the movie that uh, everybody knows and loves. Let's talk about length. They're thirty five centimeters or fourteen inches. Good fish size. <laughs> this is a good fish size. Not if too you big, said too what small. is. Th- how big is a fish? What's the what's what what is the size of a fish? And you're like, what kind of fish? No, 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 just a fish. You'd say fourteen inches. Two two inches over a foot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, how many crocodile ice fish go into the outer ring of the fortifications at Verdun? Verdun. Here's a hint: the forts at Verdun had begun to modernize with sand bufferings and steel-reinforced concrete in 1880. In the Battle of Verdun, the ring of fortifications had 79 guns in shell-proof turrets and more than 200 light guns. The height? The, of the forts? So there's a, there's a ring of fortifications, the outer ring... You're looking for the length, the, like the length of the outer ring. Man, I don't, I don't know this. It's a battle in World War One. Yeah, like I'm particularly not particularly bloody that battle. I have not ne- done my research on World War One yet, although I plan to. Um, I will say seventy miles. If it's a whole ring of fortifications around a city-ish thing. And I have Remember the Titans to thank for the fact that I do remember the Titans. Titans. And I also remember how many feet are in a mile. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) While you're thinking, I've been uh, seeing this thing going around the internet, this video of Pee Wee's Playhouse, I guess. And you, Pee Wee Herman, like, gets bonked in the head. And he's, like, you know, dazed. And a bunch of cowboys are surrounding him. And they're like, can you tell me what your, can you tell me what year it is? And he's like, I don't remember. And he's like, can you tell me what your name is? And he's like, I don't remember. And he's and they're like, can you, can, what do you remember? And he's like, uh, the Alamo. And they're all like, yeah! <laughs> and that got me pretty good. I'm like, wow, I don't remember Pee Wee's Playhouse having good, the good jokes. I have never seen anything from Pee Wee Herman. Although I like, it's just been mentioned a lot. It's one of those like cultural touchstones that I just have not only not seen, but have no interest in seeing. So 
It just looks like a really goofy Mr. Bean that's even more for kids. So, I yeah. don't know. Anyway, my answer is 315,000 uh, ice fish go into the fortifications ever done. The correct answer is 126,720 fish. No. The outer ring fortifications. was 28 miles or 45 kilometers. See, I'm still thinking in like World War II terms where it's like, oh, we just uh, we just fortified the entire coastline of continental Europe, 2,000 miles of it. Remember when we were talking about the like the longest trench in World War One? It was like two miles or something like that. Yeah, I'm still not in. Uh, I haven't. I, I'm. I'm. My mind is on like the big indus, industrial endeavors of World War Two rather than the slog of World War One. Well, let's talk about depths. There, they live between fifty and two hundred and fifty me, uh, meters, or one hundred and sixty to eight hundred and twenty feet. How many depths of the M1 helmet go into the living depth of the crocodile ice fish? Do you know what the M1 helmet is? Is it that helmet that the Austro-Hungarians wore with the little pike on top of it? No, how dare you say that? <laughs> it's Why? World War II. Okay. It's, it's it's the US helmet in World War II. Oh yeah, that is pretty I that was a pretty big punt for me then. <laughs> Here's a hint. And this is a doozy. The M1 helmet was the standard issue American helmet for ground troops in World War II, all the way to its retirement in 1885. The need for helmets was first realized in World War I when bonk injuries increased, increased rapidly because of shrapnel and debris flying into trenches during bombardment. So the U.S. first developed the... The, U- the U.S. showed up to World War I without helmets. And they got some... Ish- they were issued helmets from the British and French, whoever they were fighting with. And uh, then, we, then they started to, like, let's maybe make our own. So then the U.S. first developed the M1917. But it was poorly balanced and lacked protection from bullets coming at you at the normal lateral direction. Before the U.S. entered World War II, they decided to get their helmets in order. Brigadier General Courtney Hodges oversaw the development of a new helmet without a brim and more neck protection and a visor. Uh, They also added a suspension system in the style of football helmets at the time. During testing, the helmet resisted a point-blank shot from a forty-five caliber pistol. I cut out parts of that hint because it was getting too long, where, like... In World War One, they took the the original helmet back to the drawing board, and they made some changes, and they did some testing, and they're like, okay, now we can withstand some gunfire from the front and behind and laterally, but it still now it breaks when stuff hits you in the top of the head, which is what we originally made it for, and then they scrapped that design. Yeah, but you're not in trenches that. anymore. No, this was still in World War One. Oh. 
Let's say it's about eight inches. Seems to be about right. For a helmet. Uh, I'm going to say 1,200. Helmet depths go into the depth of the max depth of this fish. A crocodile ice fish. Final answer? Yep. The correct answer is 1,400. That, I believe, is a nursing school victory. The M1 has a depth of 7 inches, or 180 millimeters. 85%. See, I, I, you, if you forget about the suspension system in helmets, you'd be like, oh, it's like a 4-inch four four inch depth. It's like a hat. But, but it goes it down over be... your ears and all that stuff. I just yeah. watched uh, how accurate was Saving Private Ryan video, and so I was watching a lot of very historical, historically accurate U.S. helmets in World War II. So I had a I had a good frame of reference. But in that movie, uh, helmets did not do all that much against direct fire. I don't think it could take a rifle. But like, well, there's the one. There's the one scene where like, it pinged off of his helmet. Then he took it off. And he took yeah. it off to look at it, and then it hit him in the head. But like, right as soon as they they open up those amphibious boats, um, and uh, the the machine guns are just cutting right through. A lot of the, like s some of the the guys are shot through the through the helmet. And it's like, oh, which is probably accurate. Yeah, I, I mean, it is a machine like gun. Rifles and machine guns could, you know, don't really matter. I I do like the idea of um, you know the U.S. finally gets into World War One and it sends all its troops over there wearing just cowboy hats, and then the British are like, <laughs> "You're gonna need one of these and hands of hands of an actual helmet." Why? Because you get bonkies. You get bonkies in the trenches. <laughs> you get you get jolly bonkies in the trenches. <laughs> You want a jammy dodger? <laughs> a Tim Tam for your bonkies. <laughs> to be fair, I think they knew they were going to need helmets. They just didn't have the war machine producing them at the time. They needed to spin up they the... Didn't, they didn't have Don presses. Cheadle in there just hammering out helmets exclusively for the entire U.S. Army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's all I got for that. Would you like to hear some fast facts about the crocodile fish? Sure. The crocodile fish lives in the Arctic and Southern Oceans. So the, the top and the bottom of the, of the world. Only our friend, the pike ice fish is found north of the Antarctic polar frontal zone at the bottom half of the world. There are 16 species of crocodile ice fish. They are what's called Demersal species, which means they like to hang out on the ocean floor. Ice fish mostly fish. It's true. They're, they mostly <laughs> fish. Ice fish most, mostly eat fish, but they can also feed on krill, which I, I in, made the intro hoping that was true and found it was that they eat krill. They're, they are krill killers. They they're, hunt they're as Val ambush Kromer. predators. Yeah. Uh, they, they do ambush predation, uh, remaining still and attacking suddenly. Feeding, this feeding style makes them less active than stalkers, 
which means they can survive with long periods between munches and nobody takes out a restraining order. When they do eat, they consume fish up to half of their body length. Hmm. Gross. Pretty standard fare for an ambush predator, right? I'm going to wait here. I'm going to conserve energy. I'm going to eat rarely, but I'm going to eat a lot when I do. Yeah, I'm going to eat something half my body length, and then I will do that again next month. But that's all I got. Do you have any interesting facts beyond the fact that it uh, eats a lot? Yeah, I'm going to call this uh, major fact uh, Arctic Android. So, one thing we know about cold-blooded animals is that temperature matters. But the crocodile ice fish is found, like you said, at uh, as deep as 820 feet around the waters of the Southern Ocean near Antarctica. So, it gets as, uh, the temperature can get as low as 28 degrees Fahrenheit in some areas, which I was looking at that. I was like, that does not, that's not that cold. It gets to be like negative 35 in Minnesota. What are we talking about here? But for water... That is not frozen. That's very cold. Um, and so that sounds like a recipe for Mrs. Paul's crispy battered frozen fish sticks. Not a thriving population of still alive, not fish sticks fish. Uh, so how does a fish survive in the depths of the Antarctic? And the answer is that it actually has to be in the depths of Antarctic, uh, of the Antarctic uh, near freezing or past the point of freezing temperature water in order to, to, to be down there. Um, it bleeds white like a Wayland yutani android. It has white oh. blood. If you've seen the Alien series, Ash and Bishop, they have white blood. Um, and so does the crocodile ice fish. The blood of all ice, it's actually colorless. So it's white-ish, clear-ish. It, the blood of all ice fish is just colorless uh, because it uh, doesn't have any hemoglobin. Which uh, hemoglobin is the protein that... And uh, Great, I picked this one. I didn't realize it was a blood-focused episode. <laughs> um, but, you know, here we are. So hemoglobin is the protein in your blood that uh, binds to oxygen, which allows your uh, red blood cells to carry oxygen from your lungs to the various muscles throughout your body, including your heart and brain. So in the ice fish, though, the red blood cells are usually absent. And even if there are some there, it's only because they have a defunct gene that's still, uh, that still exists in their genetic makeup that no longer functions and can uh but can possibly produce some useless hemoglobin cells or hemoglobin uh protein or sorry red blood cells <laughs> that don't have hemoglobin hemoglobin um so how does the ice fish get oxygen to all its important bits because it doesn't it still needs that stuff it's very it's very it's crucial to have oxygen if you are a living thing unless i guess you're a tardigrade in which case you just need like a molecule of it for the next like 30 years um 
without the, the normal tools like hemoglobin and red blood cells to move uh, oxygen throughout the body, ice fish have a low metabolic rate and only carry about 10% of the oxygen that related fish with their fancy schmancy hemoglobin can carry. Uh, they still have gills, but oxygen is absorbed straight from the water into their plasma. And uh, one of the principles of fluid and gas dynamics is that um, gas is more soluble in colder water than it is in warmer water. The lower the temperature gets, the more soluble the gas gets. So oxygen can pass through uh, membranes more easily in colder water, which is exactly why the ice fish is where it is. Um, and... Also, uh, this is why Antarctic, Arctic and Antarctic waters are are oxygen rich. So uh, animals like krill that that thrive in oxygen rich environments uh, tend to congregate here, and then the things that eat the krill tend to congregate there as well. And that's how this and it's the circle of life. Um, ice fish also have larger blood vessels, larger hearts, and also four times as much blood. Mm hmm. As uh, other fish. So uh, they also don't have scales. So and re researchers originally thought that th they did most of their oxygen absorption directly through the skin. Because they don't have scales. They are Sif the scaleless. Crocodile ice fish. C-I-F. The scaleless. Um, but uh, though they, they actually absorb most of their oxygen through the through the gills uh, but they can't absorb through their body uh, and it goes directly into their bloodstream and into the muscles in the heart without the efficiency of hemoglobin uh, that the rest of I guess chordata gets to enjoy um, and researchers theorize that since you need iron for to uh, manufacture hemoglobin um, and iron can be hard to find in the open ocean, let alone in the uh, the vast and mostly empty. Um, well, like it's not mostly. Well, yeah, it, it's the ocean. It's mostly empty. The va the of the Arctic or Antarctic, um, and iron can be hard to come by. The ice fish adapted to go without it. And it puts them just in a different uh, different zone. It allows them to live in places where most other fish cannot. So mm. the, uh, yeah, it doesn't have red blood cells or hemoglobin. The oxygen just, oxygen just goes straight to its muscles and all of its blood. There's just so much of it. Breaking yeah. the rules to live where you shouldn't. Gallons of the stuff. But yeah, that's uh, that is the that is the superpower of the crocodile ice fish. What is the X Men ice guy's name? Is it Iceman too? It's Iceman. It's Iceman. Nah. What a what a terrible name for a hey. superhero. <laughs> what do you mean? He's a man made of ice. I know. It's just like, did you? What was that? Was a grueling, uh, like creative session. There. What about Spider-Man? A man with spider powers and Spider-Man. Batman. Yeah, yeah but like at least you don't like look at him and you're like, 
oh, Spider-Man, I get it. Like, you see, you see Iceman, he's like, oh, okay. That's, it's, it's a little more on the nose. You would have rather liked the other guy, Pyro. Mm, no, That's I don't it. like that one either. Well, there you go. Could have been Fireman. <laughs> <laughs> I like Phoenix is good. Magneto they is really would, good. They would have said called him Fireman, but they already knew that that was somebody who puts out fires. Yeah, so this guy makes them, and we, we're just going to get really confused. Called him, I should have called him Waterman. It's the it's the same. <laughs> they should be called Waterman. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. I guess. So. I mean, I guess they're called firefighters, aren't they? Yeah. Now. <laughs> so that that makes a lot more sense when you when you put it that way. Because it sounds better than fire person. And yeah, and and they fight fires. They do not make like there's no ambiguity there. If it's you have a fireman, then it's like does he does he make the fires or does he does he put them out? Firefighter is like okay, I get it. He puts them out. He is a waterman. I already know he's a waterman by 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 dint of being a firefighter, um, a hottie copper. If if you're from Australia. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, Frozone. Come on, that's Iceman. Like, Frozone's a cool go. name for someone who does ice things. Anyway, that was the Crocodile Icefish. Do you got anything else? That's all I got. All right, for you out that uh, for you out there in podcasting, yeah. Like foreigner, be as cold as ice. <laughs> like the ice fish, you're in life, death, and taxonomy. Hey Taxonomy Titans, I just want to remind you that we now have a Patreon. Patrons can see full video episodes and get shoutouts on the show. But ultimately, it's a way for you to help us cover some costs and get even better. Still, reviews are the best way to help us grow. So if you haven't left one yet, we'd really love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening and engaging. podcast <laughs> it really is right well because that water is colder than ice it is well ice can be extremely cold if they, if you want it to be yeah i guess there's no i mean there is a limit to how cold ice can be absolute zero which is absolute zero yeah <laughs>